0: Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Brian Bowling. With me, as always, is Brandon Noto. Hey. hey. Uh, Our special guest today is Bobby Chung. Bobby is an interventional radiologist and chair of the radiology department at SBH Health System in the Bronx. Uh, Bobby, what else do you want to tell us about yourself?
1: So, I mean, I love radiology. I know you guys from Twitter. So, y'all know I love jujitsu and I love guitars because the last six months I've not been able to do jujitsu. So, I mean, my life (laughs) recently is like work, family, and guitar, so.
0: Well, um, we're going to learn a little bit about interventional radiology today. Brandon and I were talking before we started recording. um, This is sort of a black box for a lot of us. We don't really understand what goes on in the IR suite, what you guys do, what you can do, what you can't do. So hopefully you're going to educate us all a little bit today.
2: All right, Bobby, so... You, uh, you're coming into a regular shift, and you get into the hospital, and you put your stuff down, and you discover that you're actually working with a, a medical student today. This is a, a guy who's actually already mashed into internal medicine for the next year, and he's got an interest in critical care. He thinks that might be his destiny. Um, but you guys have a few minutes before you get rolling, and you, you buy him a coffee, and you're just chatting a little. And he's saying, you know, I, I, I did this as an elective because I, I really just feel like I don't know much. About IR, so I'm trying to just get learn a little bit and figure out what it is you guys do. Um, Maybe you could just tell me, like, what is your what does your day even look like? Like, how does your your schedule come together? You come in, and then what what do you kind of project before you go home for the day?
1: So every interventional radiology department functions a little differently. Generally, I come in, I look at my inpatient cases and my outpatient cases. And then generally the outpatients are there early and they want to get their procedures done and go home. So the day before, I go over the outpatient cases, make sure I have my supplies that I need for those. And then the inpatient cases, we kind of prioritize and... Um, Generally, I'm covering interventional radiology. There's one other person here that does interventional radiology. Uh, I mean, we both do diagnostic radiology as well. But generally, I'm going to handle the cases, and if need be, then he'll 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 step in and handle some overflow. Um, I mean, if I had a student on, I I would want them to know that there is a lot of (laughs) procedures that we do, and there's almost no system or Subspecialty that we can't have a hand in, so it's 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 hard for me to really generalize uh, what my day is going to be like,
2: so how do uh, you know urgent or emergent cases fit in there? Do you have a lot of spaces in a or schedule, or do you have to you bump people, or is there somebody covering that sort of thing? So
1: it's, I work in a trauma center, and you know traumas come in. 24-7, if there's a trauma case that comes in, then, like I said, there's two rooms and there's generally me, so there's generally one room being turned over. So so, depending on the urgency of the case, then, then that case can get bumped up. One of the nice things about interventional radiology that I really enjoy and that I didn't really even fully appreciate until, you know, I was a fellow and... Especially in attending, was how much flexibility we have um, to get cases done quickly. So we're we're very flexible in terms of being able to to get our patients in and and
2: taken care of. Now uh, he says, okay, I I know IR is a specialty of radiology. Um, I, I know there's been some changes too in the training pathways. Uh, to what extent, you know, in this day and age, is um, as a general radiologist, someone who can do procedures in an interventional sense, and to what extent is a you know a trained, board interventional radiologist still a you know a, a diagnostic radiologist who you know, read studies and that sort of thing? Or does it depend where they're working? Yeah, again, it's, it's
1: really highly heterogeneous. Um, I feel in 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 the past ten years, maybe past twenty years, it's been a trend towards specialization, it's really rare to get radiologists that do quote-unquote everything now. So in general, interventional radiologists, a lot of them pride themselves on doing just interventional radiology. I, a little, I think I'm a little bit of an outlier in, in, as an interventional radiologist in that I like doing diagnostic radiology, and I, I try to keep those skills up. Um, like you're saying, the, uh, the, the pathway, it's not – when I was doing interventional radiology training, I did my radiology residency, and then I did a one-year fellowship in interventional radiology, which surprises a lot of people because of the just wildly high number of procedures that I have to cover. And so now, mostly, you're going straight into interventional radiology right out of medical school. Um so I would say that the trend now is towards if you want to do interventional radiology, you're, you're going to try to do mostly interventional radiology. Um, I mean, most people pick up diagnostic work and do the bread and butter radiology cases, You know, read chest x-rays, read um, body CTs, read maybe a little bit of head CTs, maybe a little bit of spine CTs. Um, and then in terms of radiologists, like a lot of radiologists – or a lot of radiology jobs, I've seen that they have this phrase light IR, which a lot of people have issues with, um, you know, kind of like doing vascular access, doing kind of superficial biopsies. So it's still as a general radiologist, I I would hope that people training get some proficiency in placing picks, midlines, dialysis catheters, doing superficial biopsies. But I think that's really fading out and I think really it's getting more and more um, siloed in that the general radiologists do gen- do, or the diagnostic radiologists do diagnostic and the interventionalists do intervention.
0: Are there subspecialties of interventional radiology? So I know like where I work, I do a fair amount of neurocritical care. We have a couple of neurosurgeons who have done um, interventional fellowships. They do mechanical thrombectomies and angiography for like phasospasm, subarachnoid hemorrhage, and stuff like that. We used to have a radiology guy as well who did that. He's gone now, so it's just our two neurosurgeons. But is that special training, or is that something that anybody with IR training would do?
1: So out of radiology, I haven't checked this in a few years, but you used to be able to do a neurointerventional radiology fellowship. Um, If you want to do neurointerventional, I'm not sure what the pathway is now. I know more and more neurosurgeons are – doing endovascular therapy and i'm not it's like most people don't know that radiologists started doing cardiac cath and doing balloons and stents for for myocardial infarction and then so if you meet a radiologist that was trained back in the 60s and 70s they know how to do that because that, that was part of the training pathway and then cardiology took that over and then um when i was get, doing training I, I was still getting trained in peripheral artery disease um uh claudication for, for lower extremity uh peripheral artery disease and then vascular surgery slowly taking taking that so there's this kind of joke that interventional radiology inventing procedures for other specialties since 1973 <laughs> um so and then now you know you're talking about doing neurointerventional and i, I feel like that's also something that's We do have training available, and it was radiologists that that, that started these neurointerventional procedures, but I think now more and more the trend is towards neurosurgeons doing the the endovascular um, neuro cases. So there are radiologists that do it, there are ways to train, but I think
2: that that's kind of the way the shift is going. All right. So your uh, your student sips his coffee, and he says, you know, um, when I've been spending time up on the wards or in the ICU... um, it really seems like they have a hard time sort of coordinating getting things done with interventional radiology. Uh, a lot of the time, we'll like decide what patient needs something, we'll put it in an order, and then maybe the next day or two, they hope that IR calls to come take the patient away, and then it just kind of happens. Uh, or maybe not. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of time, they never even maybe speak with an interventional radiologist. Um, the the kind of coordination and continuity seems hard to manage. So, I mean, how how can they do better with that? To what extent do you consider the patients that you're doing procedures on to be kind of your patient in the sense that maybe a a surgeon might, um, you know, are you evaluating the the appropriateness of the things you're asked to do in a big way, or you kind of just feel like you're there to do what you're asked to do? Do you follow up on the patients in any way? How does this all kind of fit together?
1: Again, I hate to answer about heterogeneity, but there's, there's heterogeneity. Personally, and I know many of my colleagues have a very strong desire to see interventional radiology become more of a clinical specialty. So like I said, in the morning, I'll I'll go over my inpatient cases. I'll run through the hospital, try to see the patients that I did procedures on the day before, try to see the patients that need procedures, um, discuss as much as I can uh, with, with the patients about their procedures. And this does happen in my shop, and I know this happens in a lot of shops, that a patient will come down to interventional radiology and they'll have no idea what they're doing, and, and that'll be the first time they see me. And that's, you know, I was think of, like, for if, if me or my family, kind of, that's not the most ideal situation to meet the guy that's going to put needles and catheters into you <laughs> right before he has to put needles and catheters into you. Um, and... Because we came from radiology, radiology historically wasn't great about evaluating patients, following up patients. A lot of interventional radiologists, especially in the past, they didn't have their own clinics. I have my own clinic. People are always surprised. Um, At at the places you guys work, do you know if interventional radiology has their own clinics? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know, actually. (laughs) So... (laughs) Yeah, um, and and you know I'm not that far away from being a, a, I was an internal medicine intern and 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 being in that situation you, you described. You put in an interventional radiology order, and then hopefully the patient disappears to that black box, and hopefully they come out of that black box with whatever needed to have happened. Uh, I, hopefully, people find me approachable. I know, again interventional radiologists are varying degrees. I I find interventional radiologists very friendly, extroverted, kind of. I actually didn't know I wanted to be a interventional radiologist. I thought I was going to be a diagnostic radiologist. Then I found out that I hate sitting alone and I need to be out and running around and talking to people. So thankfully, I, I got to be an interventional radiologist, um, and but I feel like that's the story with with a lot of the interventional radiologists I know. So, hopefully, where you guys are, and hopefully my hypothetical med student, I, w- I would say, find the interventional radiologist, try to, you know, talk to them, introduce yourself, find out their names, and and. Find out, hey, this is my patient. I know this guy very well. Is it okay if I come watch the procedure? And then just get to know what uh, the interventional radiology department is capable of and what what your radiologist is like. Um, like everything in the hospital, you know, if if you can phone call instead of text, you got to do a phone call. If you go face-to-face instead of a phone call, go face-to-face. It's, it's just... Uh, there's so many moving parts in in healthcare. Just the more you can communicate, the better it is for everybody. So, so that would be my advice on trying to, to get through the black box and kind of figure out exactly what happens and and how to get things
2: to, uh, to happen um, in radiology. And yeah, build a relationship. Mm-hmm. What what would you say your most common frustrations that you encounter, especially? in that dynamic of kind of the, the continuity are there certain things that you um you're asked to do a lot that uh you, you can't do you're the wrong person or that the way they went about it is really not uh, not the best way so that's i try to
1: help everybody as much as i can for so many things for radiology it seems like there's 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 us and another service. Um, I was just, there's just a cardiologist that came by earlier about a pericardial fusion that I, um, did a drainage on. We were talking about like the co-management, um, you know, the, the, uh, obstructed kidneys that you have to work with the urologist on. There'll be GI bleeding cases that you have to work with GI on. There's, um, vascular cases. You have to work with vascular surgery. Maybe they need your help. Maybe you need their help. So, as much as possible if i'm being consulted on 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 a case it would be nice to have to have input from from other services and I, again i i know this is all completely local to whatever institution you're at i am always happy to like have people consult me even if they think i might not be needed I, I'm happy to go over anything with anybody. And I, you know, I've, I've heard way too many horror stories about an intern or medical student calling a consult and just getting ripped apart. Cause, cause that was the wrong thing. So, so it, it's hard for me to weigh my answer. Cause I want to weigh my answer in like how I want to do it versus, you know, I don't want people to necessarily get torn apart by, by their, by their local guys. Um, but in 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 my in my shop, I I think the the more the interested parties can know about a patient, the more you can let let us know early. Even if you have to call me in the middle of the night. And again, I know not I'm not everybody, but I if you call me in the middle of the night and I and I don't and I can tell you that I'm not the person for that. I I would rather know. So again, along the lines of communication, just. Speaking as myself, I'm happy to run by anything and just always just err on the side of of, of talking to as many people as you think might need to know about a, a problem.
2: So you guys finish up your little coffee time and um, you get started with your day. And the, the first thing you have on the schedule is uh, an inpatient who needs a, a tunnel dialysis catheter. So they're getting the patient in, and you guys are kind of getting situated, and your student has lots of technical questions. And the the first thing he's curious about is um, these kind of uh, vascular procedures you're doing, are you using ultrasound guidance in every single case? Short answer is yes. Um, The longer answer is,
1: I remember when I did work with a guy (laughs) that's an older interventional radiologist that made fun of me for getting femoral vein access without an ultrasound, um and i have worked with guys that that you know older interventional radiologists that that will do that at this point i think there's not many reasons to not use an ultrasound and even even the the fact that i almost always 99.9% of the time use an ultrasound i, I mean i can think of crash situations where i haven't been able to use the ultrasound being using the ultrasound makes you better at not using the ultrasound cuz you you just understand where everything is you you like at this point i I look at people on the subway and i kind of like know what their veins and their arteries look like (laughs) it's like this superpower just because i've evaluated so many people i can just kind of eyeball you i was like i know you know i know what this guy's vessels are going to be like um so yeah that's a really long answer short answer is yes ultrasound uh guided venous or arterial axis for everybody
2: okay and is that um, generally with a, a transverse view of your needle or would you sometimes use a, a longitudinal or in plane view so I almost always
1: go in using the short axis view sometimes I have to confirm with the long axis view people ask me oh which what's the right way to do it I mean it's 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 a toolkit right you you try to develop ma- as many tools as you can and you use whatever tool you need to do the job um sometimes the long axis view is is going to be necessary sometimes sometimes you're you're kind of you're tenting the top of uh, of whatever artery or vein you're trying to get into and and that needle tip looks like it's it's in the middle of the vessel and then but when you go long vein long with the long view you see you're actually still tenting it and and you're getting fooled it's and there's so many layers to to even just like getting a needle into a vessel, um, so there's no right or wrong answer. You you got to develop everything. Generally, I'm just gonna access short short access view. All
2: right, and then on the the digression of ultrasound, you know, he's curious. If you're doing maybe a, a paracentesis, a thoracentesis, um, you're using ultrasound for those as well. <laughs> uh, so I
1: I, I laugh because sometimes to admit this so there are occasions that i have done paras blind or actually not so much paras um, i've done like chest tubes blind right i've done lumbar punctures blind but as a radiologist it's kind of like i don't want like you know don't let the other radiologists know because i'm a radiologist right <laughs> like i got to use the image guidance um you know i was saying earlier kind of the more you do things under image guidance the more you kind of understand what people's anatomy is like and the more, and it actually makes you better at doing these procedures blind um so if i if i can 99.99% of the time everything has to have some kind of in, image guidance just just by nature of being a radiologist and like i hate that
2: i just admitted to you
1: that i have you know occasionally done things blind <laughs>
2: And if you are using an ultrasound, are you using it for real-time guidance or you're marking a spot in the real-time blind? Yeah, real-time guidance. Mm, cool. All right, so you're getting ready to do this line. Um, and uh, are you starting with a micropuncture needle for most of your vascular access? Pretty much. It's again, I feel like
1: that's kind of a new school old school thing. If you I mean all the tunnel dialysis catheter kits that come with the 18 gauge entry needle, but again 99.99% of the time i'm going to use a 20 gauge micropuncture kit to get in it's just a safer way to do it and if i'm going to train my medical student or my resident how to how to how to do a procedure i'm going to have them start micropuncture just just a, another level of safety that you're not possibly going to go through things with um
2: with with a larger needle if you know it's, it's it would be better to start with a smaller needle Okay. Now, and your your student looks over and he sees the uh, the C arm in the corner, and he says, "You know, it, it seems like one of the big differences between how you're doing these lines and how they might do them at the bedside is uh, fluoroscopy. What I mean, to what, to, what is the role of fluoro to you for these sorts of procedures? Is it does it add a, a great deal? Uh, is it you know do you use it just because you have it?" Uh, so
1: a, a tunnel dialysis catheter. I, you know, I get asked every once in a while, "Can you place a tunnel dialysis catheter bedside?" And the short answer is no. You need you pretty much need fluoroscopy to do it. The, so the tunnel dialysis catheters, they come in different lengths. Um, so let's start with a pick, right? So a pick you can place with just ultrasound. You don't have to use fluoro. I don't particularly like doing it with ultrasound because you don't know if if you're going to put that tip of the pick line into the azagus or the contralateral brachiocephalic or up the IJ. Um, so I, I kind of need fluoroscopy for that and. So and then you can use fluoroscopy to estimate the 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 pick length better by putting a wire in and then measuring the wires uh that wire distance from your access point to the SVC. So when you do a let's say so tunnel dialysis catheter, majority of the time you, you want to go right internal internal jugular vein because that's kind of a straighter shot down to the down to the right atrium. Um so when you're putting in, so you get your access, you get your wire, and you want to try to get your wire down to the IVC. I mean, I know if you put in a central line, you put your wire down. You know, you watch the rhythm, you make sure you're not getting PVCs, you are not make sure you're not getting VTAC. Uh, that fluoroscopy really helps though, because if you if you know your wires down to the IVC, then you have a better rail, and that rail is really important when you're putting in a dialysis catheter. It's going to be like 14 French, because um, that's a that's that's a big catheter and it's a big peel-away sheath that that you need to put that catheter in. Um so and then the other thing is before I put that in, I'm I'm gonna kind of use fluoroscopy to kind of kind of measure exactly how long I need my my dialysis catheter to be. And you know not only do you not want to land the tip in the wrong place you want to make sure that every step before then is going to the right place. Especially, so like I said, right IJ is straight down. If you have a patient that's had multiple right IJ central lines, that's been on dialysis for a while, a lot of times that right IJ is going to burn out. You got to go left IJ. And when you go left IJ, it's a lot curvier path. So when you're making that those serial dilations, getting in the big um, peel-away sheath, if if your wire is not straight, you can easily kink the wire, go mediastinal or you cause a dissection. It's uh, There's a whole nother level of, of of safety that that you get with with fluoroscopy.
2: So you get getting, getting going here and um, you go ahead and insert your wire and you take a quick look with fluoro and you find that it actually went the wrong way. Instead of going straight down the... SVC, it's taking a little turn into one of the innominate veins. And your student says, you know, I, I feel like this has happened to us when we're doing these at the bedside, and no one's ever quite sure how to fix this sort of thing. <laughs> What's your approach to kind of sending wires the right way? Is this something that we can do, or is this all IR trickery?
1: So, I mean, I feel like you
2: placing central lines,
1: you're not going to know until you have a follow-up x-ray, right? Is that what you're asking me?
2: Yeah, usually. Yeah,
1: cause, uh, and again, like I said, the more like you do things with image guidance. So at this point, e- even if I don't have the fluoroscopy, I can kind of feel, you know, when something's going into a vein that's not supposed to. But that's that's, that's real, subtle kind of stuff. Um, in terms of not having fluoroscopy. If you have a a malpositioned catheter or a malpositioned wire there's not really much there's not really much I can teach in the way of like how to how to how to get those wires into the right place it's just you know it's just reps it's just getting getting the time and getting
2: getting that feel for 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 how a wire acts for how a catheter acts so the other uh probably common situation is someone gets into a vessel, they advance a wire, and then they find that even though it's clearly intravascular, they reach a point where they can't advance it any further, somewhere in that depth of it. And or they get a wire in and they can't advance the catheter to what they think should be the full depth. What do you usually find is the cause of that and what do you do about it? So I'm I'm thinking because
1: so again, we're talking about feel here, right? So if I'm if I'm telling if I'm talking to a non-interventional radiologist, it's kind of you know play the numbers. So do you, let's say we're putting in a, a, a midline or a pick line, and you're you're out in the arm, and you get access to to your vein, and then you push the wire in, and it can't go. So you can have a stenosis, you can have a thrombus, you can have Uh, or you can just be up on a valve, or you can be fooled, and when you originally put your needle in, even though it looked like it was in the middle of the vessel, you could be sub-intimal still, and you could just be dissecting. Or you could have just gotten a bad cross-section on a short-axis view, and you could be through and through the vein. You could just be extra-luminal. So... it's, man, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to generalize. Like if you, if you just say, oh, the wire can't go, it's like, it could be all these things. And depending on the ultrasound, depending on the patient history, depending on how that wire feels, you know, th- th- there's ways to figure out, like you could look with ultrasounds like, Hey, or there's, this right. a stenosis up here. It's like, or does there's, if you're on a valve, it's there, there's, there's kind of ways to kind of spin the wire and kind of get, get, off that that leaflet of the valve, um, and then similarly, like if you do have a wire and, and and the catheter won't track, again it could be stenosis, it could be a valve, it could be
2: you're not actually in in the vessel. Um, it's hard. So you might you might take a look with your ultrasound, and really make sure that you are indeed in the vessel like yeah, you thought, yeah, and yeah. then it's maybe something upstream like a stenosis. In that case, will you usually look for a different vessel, or will you sometimes try to get through it?
1: Um, sometimes I'll try to get through. Sometimes I'll try to get a different vessel. I, I was also going to say, at, at that point, if you're having tracking issues, the, the long axis view is, is really helpful. So that mm-hmm. that can kind of really tell you, like,
2: you know, the path of your wire and and the path of of, of the vessel. Mm-hmm. When um, when you are asked to place lines in patients who are really just difficult vascular access. Other people have tried using maybe not all, but a lot of similar techniques and they just can't seem to get them. And then you are, what do you think is the difference in most cases? What is it you're bringing to the table? Is it just general skill? Are there certain techniques you're using? So, I mean, the skill is a lot of it. So, you know,
1: I, I, I don't have radiology residents, but I do have emergency pediatric medicine, surgery residents that rotate with me. So I, 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 I train a lot of people. Um, And, you know, like I I talked to the, we have a lot of emergency attendings who are just great with ultrasound. One of the differences I feel like as a radiologist is I, I have kind of a greater understanding of the physics and the machine. So one thing that, would be good to talk to maybe a radiologist, maybe an ultrasound tech if you can, you know, cozy up to somebody, is how to set your machine. Because I see Emergency room, critical care people try to do procedures all the time, and it's just the machine is just like, you know, I don't want to make a... Uh, but in to, inside, I'm like, oh, no, you, you didn't set this machine right at all. What are you doing? You know? It's like, do you understand the harmonics? Do you understand the virtual convex? Do you understand the TDC Do you or the, the, the time gain correction? Um, do you understand the focus position? There's a lot of knobs and dials in these things, and they all actually you know do something um man uh so so that's one thing that i feel like as a radiologist kind of kind of you bring when you're, you're doing your radiology guided procedure over over a non-radiologist using ultrasound to do a procedure the other thing is um just we have a lot more wires and needles I've i remember when i was <laughs> When I was an interventional radiology fellow, I remember, like, I would go to sleep, and I would have these weird fever dreams of all these catheters and wires and needles, and you got to understand, like, you know, like, a trocar tip versus a bevel tip versus a quinky tip versus a Huber tip versus a Chiba tip. You got to, you know, you got to understand a Rosen wire versus (laughs) a Benson wire versus a glide wire versus a road wire. Like, it's, it's... But they all, like, all these different needles and all these different wires have (laughs) their uses. Um, Like, I remember there's this one uh, patient uh, that we had that, um, I hate to say shyly because I would say, people say it should say non-tonal dialysis catheter. So, that needed a non-tonal dialysis catheter and... um, and uh, the surgeons couldn't place it. And it's just because he was really scarred and the and the, the kit wire is too flimsy. So I said, hey, if he ever needs this, this is an Amplatz wire, this is the wire that you need, you know. Um, the midline kits that we have here, the, uh, the bevel of the needle is at a different angle than the micropuncture kit. So if you're trying to land that bigger bevel inside of a tiny vessel, the bevel of the micropuncture is a lot more friendly it's it's just these a lot of really subtle details about setting the imaging and and using i mean like you know I have all these products that 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 people don't even know about uh that that can kind of tailor tailor different procedures so that i I might succeed where other people you know uh don't have that kind of level of subtlety to
2: to, to tweak the procedure. All right, more tools for more problems. Yeah. All right, folks, that's it for now. Tune in in a couple weeks for the second half of our episode with Bobby. <laughs>